As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gabriel Marcotti. And we thank you for joining us on this Monday. In the studio with us, it's Al and Al. <laughs> Sorry, I did not write the script. That's right. Allison and Alan. Rudd and Smith. Don't these sound, doesn't sound like the name of like one of those like, sort of like comedians from the 1980s? Yeah. Like Hale and Pace? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah, I like it. It's good. Later on, we'll be talking about sentimentality, both regarding Rooney and the poppy. But I think there's one place to start. Indeed, yeah. We're going to start on the field with another virtuoso display from the champions. Manchester City made Southampton suffer at the Etihad with a 6-1 victory to go top of the table outright on Sunday. Alison, we thought last season's 100-point haul was just about the perfect campaign for Pep Guardiola, but uh, could we be about to see something even more special this season? I doubt they'll get more than 100 points this time round. And if they were to break that barrier, it would make a mockery of this supposed to be a tight a tight race this time round. I think if it, you know, if it comes down to goal difference, is any one team going to win it? it? That's certainly what it looks like. No one has mastered the art of punishing a team who don't get their tactics right more than Man City have. And if I was involved in any way with Southampton, I would feel very humiliated this morning that people were laughing both at home on the sofa and in the stadium itself and commentaries and gifts and so on that they were they were playing games they were it was the sort of football you do not normally see in the Premier League how pretty can this goal be and it was I did feel slightly uncomfortable watching actually because I couldn't quite work out if if City were just being awesome or, or Southampton were being dreadful but that's against a team that got it wrong on the day. I think when City come up against teams that get it right, I think they will, if not lose, they'll drop points. I still think, even though that wasn't a magnificent performance, I still think it's going to be tighter for them this time around. And, and that would be better for everybody, probably better for them too, because we don't want people giggling at games. Yeah, that, that, that sequence, which I tweeted it out, I'm sure it's been now removed by the Premier League watchers, but rarely do you see do you see anything like that and i'm assuming you guys all know what i'm talking about but these situations where they've got sort of seven people in the box and they can't get the ball or put in a tackle or they're terrified of giving away a penalty and we don't we don't see that i think we need to factor in how awful southampton have been in recent weeks as well I actually saw them against newcastle a week earlier and against the Newcastle team that had set up to defend, they just completely lacked any ideas. Um, and it appears yesterday they just turned up and decided that, OK, we're going to try and sit back, which I think we've already seen this season from the, the two games at City of Drop Points against Liverpool and against Wolves. They were confronted by teams who were willing to kind of have a go and take this approach of, you know, if we sit back, we're going to be picked off eventually, so we might as well just try and attack and see what happens. The biggest thing about City and watching them is that you look at the players performing magnif- magnificently, but then you look at the bench and you've got Riyad Mahrez, who's you know a 60 million luxury item. I think he's started five games so far this season. Jesus is similar, hasn't played that much. And having that depth 
just gives them this even a psychological advantage because teams are coming up against them and seeing okay if we if we stop this person Guardiola is going to be able to take this player off bring on Mares, Jesus or whoever else he's held in reserve in that day and eventually they'll just find a way the surreal thing for me is that Kevin De Bruyne who I think is City's best player still he started as many Premier League games this season as as Alan has um <laughs> Uh, it's it's three substitute appearances. That's all that we've seen him for now. Of course, he's injured again. And to be able to, you know, we often talk about sort of leadership and, and whatever and all these intangibles. What strikes you about this unit is that you can lose a guy like that. And it's not just about having a, a player of, of equal ability or comparable ability coming in, which Bernardo Silva certainly is. It's having a guy come in with the same mindset that, that you don't you don't miss a beat. And I think that's pretty remarkable. And if you look at the fact that it's so tight at the top, I think that says more to Liverpool and Chelsea to some degree, perhaps overachieving. And, you know, we look at them and we're not sure they can keep, at least for me, we're not sure that they could keep up this rate. And so it would have to be, as Alison said, City dropping off for it to be a legit race. But with City, there's just so many other options that, that Guardiola has. That's the scary part. I think Bernardo Silva has improved quite a bit in comparison to last season where he, I guess he started, not slowly, but it took him a little bit of time to sort of get used to playing under Guardiola and playing under City, whereas he's now had a season and a bit and every time you watch him there seems to be a little bit of improvement and that's why I think that De Bruyne hasn't been as big of a loss as people feared initially. Is there something psychological going on in that for Bernardo it's that he suddenly feels useful, he's helping the team out. There's been a problem with De Bruyne. It's not like he's ousted him through his talent. He's just needed by his team. And some players really respond to that, thinking that gives them um, an unfettered sort of approach to playing. He's not competing with De Bruyne anymore because no. he's not there, because he's injured. No, so I, he, can, he can express himself without it looking like he's trying to oust him. I think the way City sort of sold the project to Bernardo when he came was other than here's a whole bunch of money, you'll never have to work again after you retire, um, was that we see you as the long-term heir to David Silva, right, who's, who's obviously older. You will be moving inside, most likely. Because if you look at his skill set versus that of Leroy Sané and Raheem Sterling, they're just completely different players, right? So last season when Bernardo Silva was playing in, this, in the Sterling position, the Sané position, he simply couldn't do what they do. He had to change, you know, it was simply a different way of playing, which then has a knock-on effect throughout the team. I don't think City are invulnerable. You know, they they have two points fewer than they than they had last season. Their goal difference is almost the same, and they're doing it without Kevin De Bruyne. And I think that should be celebrated. We we focus so much on this podcast and in general, right, on reporting the the negative because it is a legitimate story, and that's maybe why we've spoken about Manchester United and Spurs mm. so much. Yeah. But. Um, this is special. Well, you mentioned someone there, Raheem Sterling. Um, Rumours are that he's been offered a, a contract that will make him the highest paid British player ever. He's contributed to 11 goals this season, uh, which is the joint highest in the Premier League. When you think about that contract, though, Alan, is he worth it? When you consider the wealth at City, 400 grand a week probably doesn't seem 
like that much. I know it's a, it's an extortionate figure for a footballer to be, to be earning per week, but Sterling has again shown improvement season upon season. The Amazon documentary, for instance, it was quite striking that the one thing that seems to really annoy Guardiola is when a player misses a sitter. Um, and there were points last season where Sterling missed quite a few, but even then his finishing seems to have improved again this season. I know there are certain instances where you'd expect him to score more of the chances that he, you know, he's put into these amazing positions. Quite often he'll put it narrowly wide or something. But that is improving as well. And for England, is he going to become their best player? I know people point at Kane and say because of, because of the goals he scored. But I think Sterling is on this path where he will be the best English player. Alison, what, what do you think of the, the, the new contract then for Sterling? Don't mind it because I really loved his post-match interview. The young man seems to be maturing very quickly and it is undeniable that he's pushed on this season. And for him to give up the chance of a hat-trick, look up, pass to a teammate and then speak so eloquently about it and somehow not make it about him, that, that was really... That was the most impressive element of it. He didn't make it about how oh, wonderful to give a, give a goal to a teammate. He, he managed to make it all about Sane and sound like he was the mature one and the one who was a bit more experienced and trying to help the team. And if you were listening to that and you were one of his many coaches at City, you would feel a little flush of pride, I think, that you'd help nurture this man who has been the butt of a lot of negative publicity because of his age and the things he said in the past and the perception that he might be greedy and have moved to City just for the money. He has grown up and he's doing that whilst playing better football. This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. It was announced this weekend that England's friendly against the USA in less than a fortnight will be a farewell appearance for the record goalscorer Wayne Rooney. Now, Rooney hasn't played for the Three Lions for two years, so this will be his 120th cap. And the match will be called the Wayne Rooney Foundation International, with proceeds going to the foundation as well as the NSPCC. However, not everyone is joining in the celebratory spirit, with some suggesting it devalues the international friendly further and that Rooney will be taking the place of someone that could actually gain valuable England experience. Alison, what's your take on all of this? Isn't it enough that they're calling it the match after him and his foundation? That should be enough from Wayne Rooney's point of view that he's put his own charity, and let's face it, most footballers who are wealthy have them. His charity's at the forefront. It's giving it free publicity. If he wants to jet in from DC and uh, wave at the crowd and say thank you and please put your hands in your pockets and, I don't know, do a bit of keepy-uppy with a celebrity in the centre circle, that is absolutely fine. But he should not play in the game. I don't see how that adds to the charities, helping the charity. I can't believe thousands of people are going to want to trudge to Wembley just to see Wayne Rooney play for 10 minutes if that's what it ends up being. I think it's an insult to the American national team. It's as if they've sort of picked a, a country they think are so far behind in the in the rankings and perception of being good on the world stage, we can get away with it playing a sort of semi-celebrity semi stars match. I, do, I don't see the need for it. And I don't also think that he's such an amazing ambassador for England, having scored one goal in three World Cup finals, that he deserves some sort of special dispensation which would make me somehow lift my objection and think, well, he's just so special then I mustn't say these things. So I think it's misjudged, misplaced and uh, counterproductive. Ouch. 
Well, he won't be jetting in from the States because DC United have been knocked out of the playoffs. Um, that's not a factor. So, I mean, no, I, what I'm saying is he'd be over here. He'd be over here anyway. It's, it's that, wasn't, that wasn't the kernel of my argument, where he's travelling from. <laughs> That's true. No, but look, I think it would... It well, would so he should be even more grateful that he's free, no. that he's got a spare, spare afternoon. Uh, I'd be curious about this, too, because I, I think there is an element to this in the sense that he's under contract with East United. And if they were still in the playoffs, if I were... If I were I'm, I'm going to look at the schedule now, so just bear with me. So you're saying it's opportunism, I should add to my list of objections. <laughs> no, no, I... I think they announced it over the weekend, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd be curious to know if he were still in the playoffs, would they have gone ahead with this anyway? Because it is kind of the ultimate umpteenth, you know, slap of the face to MLS saying you're not important. I, I'm guessing I'm going to give Rain Rooney the benefit of the doubt here that this would not have happened if DC United still had a shot at the at the MLS Cup, right? I mean, they're football mm, fans too, possibly. right? I mean, but the FA said they've been in discussions for a long time about this. So it's obviously been on the cards for a while. Whether it's going to always be this game or another game, as you say, because of his involvement with the MLS, I don't know. Um, Alan, what, what, what do you make of it all? Yeah, it's obviously England fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, my biggest concern would be that he would be depriving a young player of valuable minutes. Um, Southgate doesn't get too many opportunities to you know watch these players play and it's four days before a Croatia game where you know Southgate has repeatedly said that the Nations League is a big deal and surely this game would have been you know an ideal opportunity to play I don't know say if Callum Wilson had been called up who's been in you know excellent form for Bournemouth and probably deserves a call considering his form he's also you know he's battled back from these long-term injuries very much seems like he has this sort of mindset that Southgate likes in, in players. Is Rooney's inclusion likely to deprive him of a place in the squad? If there's another young player, uh, and obviously slightly different there's position... There's a limit on the number of people Southgate can call. No, but th- th- there's a limit on the number of players they can have on the pitch. But you get the same feedback all the time, I think it's right, from national team coaches, is that you don't learn anything from friendlies. You learn from having the guys in and working with them day in, day out in training. I mean, take your point about Callum Wilson. And by the way, it's not like Callum Wilson now can't play. In fact, I'll go even further. Let's put all put our Southgate vests on. If you're Southgate, and let's say you really like Callum Wilson, you have this dilemma. Isn't it kind of obvious what you do? You don't play Harry Kane, who you're going to need against Croatia. Yeah. So Kane is rested. Spurs will thank you. And you can play Callum Wilson or whoever you like alongside Wayne Rooney. And then Rooney comes off at halftime. Everybody applauds. And... Boom, Bob's your uncle. Right? But, at, I mean, but at the same time, Southgate has also repeatedly said that nobody will be given cheap caps; they need to be earned. He's giving Rooney, he's giving Rooney a cheap cap, which sort certainly of undermines his previous. But it's a celebration, right? Yeah. I mean, I, look, and I know Henry Winter agrees with me. So, but but I'm why why do we need to celebrate Wayne Rooney? I'm sort of in, I'm on your camp, Alison. I don't really understand the need for it. I why under- does he have to play? You can celebrate him if you want to celebrate him. He doesn't have to play. But he hasn't retired. He's still he's had a no, tremendous but he did. season. No, but in terms of so, if you remember back to June 2017, he was axed from the England squad. Then Gareth Southgate came back and asked him uh, to play in some World Cup qualifiers. He decided to retire from international football. Spoke to Gareth Southgate, very happy to be asked to come back into the England fold, but decided to retire. 
So I now have this issue of why are we now pandering to Wayne Rooney, who actually didn't want to play for England when, when he was asked to come back into the England fold. I don't really understand it. I don't understand the need for it at all. This game, you know, the average fan was not going to be too interested in it. And I'm sure from the FA's point of view and a marketing point of view, it certainly makes sense. Um, so I can see that side of things. And it is nice to give... You know, to appreciate Rooney's efforts for England, um, despite the way it sort of ended 18 months ago. But people are now going to pay more attention to this game. I know personally I'll probably pay more attention to this game than I would have without it, even though I don't necessarily <laughs> think it's a good idea. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a fair point. I'm guessing that he wanted to play. Um, he has, there's an element of pride there in the sense that, I mean, my memories of Rooney are, Rooney over here are are bad. I, I thought it was embarrassing seeing him in midfield. He took an absolute load of abuse. That's not I want to remember Wayne Rooney. People questioning like, oh look, he peaked at twenty four, whatever it was. But he's gone to MLS, and I know somebody's going to bring up Bradley Wright Phillips and ha ha ha, isn't it all a big joke? And he had a lot of doubters in MLS too. People people coming in and saying, why are you giving all this money to Wayne Rooney? Especially remember the last big England star to go to MLS was Steven Gerrard, who had a horrendous time and was really poor in MLS. But instead, he was really, really good and played really well. And I think he probably also wants people to, to, to see him and see that, look, you know, I'm, I can still play. I'd quite like people at Wembley to see that I'm not past it and I can play, but they're not going to let me. He's so <laughs> indulgent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, but if you showed up at one, I mean, if you were England's all-time leading goal scorer... And you came back and you said, here's some goodwill, charity, whatever. Yeah, and thank but you very much for naming the, the fixture after my charity. That would be in, that should be enough for a normal I was going to say, did, did Peter Shilton get a send-off and all mm-hmm. that? You know, this is what I don't Peter get. Peter Shilton not, played until he was 65. <laughs> That's, it's a slightly different, <laughs> you know, right? You know what I mean, though? I mean, it's like everyone has a reason as to why they should have a send-off. I'm sure we could, yeah. could all come up no, with something. No, look, Part of the reason it was good that Rooney didn't keep going with England, that they, they, it sort of ended slightly before perhaps some people would have expected it to, his England career, is because it did become all about him. And it's, that's the was... antithesis of what Southgate's tried to do, which is to make it about the team's greater than the sum of its parts. We're not about individuals, not about stars. We're about young, ambitious people who can connect to the public. This is so counterintuitive. No, with, with due respect, though, it became about him because you had an England manager who, as much as I love Roy Hodgson, was obsessed with shoehorning him into the team in all these ridiculous positions that he clearly couldn't play. He somehow thought, oh, yes, I'll play in midfield because my leg... Remember the, there's the interview he gave Ollie Kay when he said, like, yeah, and when I get older and my legs go, I'll play in midfield. I'm like, okay, gee, thank you, Mr. Messi. I mean, sorry, who do you think you are? Leaving aside the point that actually your legs go so you play in midfield is kind of nonsensical. But at the same time, you also had Roy who kept playing him and playing him and playing him. And England just got worse and worse and worse. And then you lose to Iceland and it all ends in tears. I, I can it's understand. Not, it's not history you want to bring back up, is it? <laughs> no, yes. It's not going to g everyone up remembering the, that. I'm on, I'm on the fence with this one. I take your point. <laughs> I, don't, I agree with Henry as well. On the long list of silly things the FA has done, I don't think it ranks in, in the top 10 in the past couple of years. But this is nothing new on the international scene, is it? Other teams do this, do they, Gab? Yeah, with... I mean, I think Italy will probably do it at some point with with Gigi Buffon. But, of course, Gigi Buffon won a World Cup. You know, I mean, I, I don't I don't want to, you know, belittle Rooney in that <laughs> <Just> sense. <laughs> 
No, but also Buffon played at a high level until he quit. The the difficulty, and then maybe this is why he wants to play, is also that the last couple of years of Rooney in England shirt, for those of us who remember good Rooney, weren't fun to watch. I've and just, it wasn't I've entirely just, I've as just well. worked it out. What? Because the Wembley deal didn't go through with Shad Khan, they now realise they've got to earn a bit of dosh for extras. So they're going to, every, every game that isn't going to be a sellout, they're going to do a gimmick to make sure they earn a bit more money. What I do wonder, though, about Rooney is, obviously he was a popular player, but I get the sense, and I could be wrong on this, that it's not like Rooney was Steven Gerrard in terms of, like, if they had done a Gerrard-type event like that, you could imagine, like, armies of people coming down from Merseyside to go and celebrate them. Is Rooney, as a, as a person, leaving aside the ability as a footballer, because I think most would maybe put Gerrard and Rooney in, in the same on the same level, football-wise, does he have that personality and, and, and popularity and charisma that somebody else did? You're making a I, face. I, so I'm I don't think no. he does. <laughs> I don't think people are that sentimental about Wayne Rooney. Don't get me wrong. What he what he did for England, great in terms of the amount of goals. But as Alison said, what did he actually do on the, on the World Cup stage? Or, you know, see, Alison's just putting the one one goal up that's it so you know I mean I, I find it very very bizarre I don't think you're going to get people suddenly going oh my goodness it's all about Wayne Rooney I must be there Henry if you're listening feel free to dial in <laughs> Hi I'm Andrew McKenna from TalkSpot we're out in Sri Lanka covering the England cricket tour as well as exclusive live ball by ball coverage of the test series TalkSport are also giving you a podcast it's published daily it's called Following On and covers all the news and views around the tour it's full of player interviews reaction and analysis from TalkSport's team of experts including Darren Goff Jared Kimber and Matt Pryor oh yeah and also some of me We'll be rounding up each day of action from the test matches, plus the news from all the other days on tour. You can subscribe now by going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app. Search for the Following On Cricket Podcast, subscribe now, and never miss a show. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. As we enter November, the sight of the Remembrance Poppy on football shirts will be extremely common. The poppy has been used since 1921 in this country to commemorate military personnel who have died in conflict. But certain players made the headlines this weekend over the lack of poppy on their shirt. The Stoke winger James McLean was one such player, as he has been for many years and was the subject of abuse from Middlesbrough fans. And Nemanja Matic, who has worn the poppy as recently as a year ago, wore a Manchester United shirt against Bournemouth where the poppy had clearly been removed. Matic was also subject to online abuse and reports claim Matic didn't wear the poppy for personal reasons. Alison, why does this make people so angry, do you think? It doesn't make everybody angry. There is, there is, there is wide support for the ability and your right to not wear one. And there are lots of good reasons why you might not want to wear one. And I can't really think that McLean's reasons are are any less valid. I mean, they, I, I, it's really so rare to have a footballer who is in touch with his local history, local community, has a political eye on things, and he feels strongly about it. And there's a bravery to it, in a sense, because it would be so easy for him to go with it. And I suppose, he, I suppose he's, he's, he's trapped because if he went with it, there'd be there'd be people who would absolutely go ballistic with him for, for letting down his local community. So I think he's in a really tough place. You could make the argument, I'm not wearing the poppy. I'm wearing a shirt which my club has put the poppy on in the same way they put the sponsor's logo on and the manufacturer's logo on. And it does not mean it's I'm personally endorsing anything on my shirt. I just work for an employer that does this. So the fact he hasn't done that, I think it's quite brave. There is still poppy fascism and it's quite complicated to someone bail me out because I'm yeah, rambling. I'll bail you out because you kind of went into extreme detail and I think some listeners may not actually know what his reasons are mm. other than some vague notion of he's Irish, you know, which lots of other Irish people wear, wear the poppy. So I'm going to do what I absolutely hate in radio, mm. right? And I've been the victim of this many times So since we have an Irishman here. Alan, why don't you give us the Irish perspective and some background on this? Why don't you speak for a for a nation of what four and a half million plus the entire Irish diaspora around the world? It's why don't you speak dairy, for though. every? It's about dairy. Yeah, it's, it's not it's, about. It's, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, I hate it. But yeah, you can explain this better than I can. A little bit about McLean's background and. Afterwards, if you want to give your view, and I want to make it very clear, this is his view—the view of one person who happens to be Irish. But he is not speaking for all the Irish people. This message is a not-so-coded message to all those freaking radio and TV producers who who call up and say, give us the so-and-so perspective. Firstly, there's a big difference between, obviously, the Republic and Northern Ireland. Um, James McLean has made his point clear in that he grew up in Derry on the Craigan estate where a massive proportion of people who live in that estate will have been... You know, a family member would have died during the Troubles, if not a family member, a very close friend. Members of the British Army had killed quite a few Catholics living in, in Northern Ireland. It's quite, it's quite simple as that. And obviously that goes in the other way, the opposite direction as well. Um, McLean he's, is... He's a Catholic yeah. from, from Derry, which is 
right on the border between the Republic of Northern Ireland, right? Um, yeah, it's so it's sort of on the, the northwest right. of Northern Ireland. Um, there are his reasons. He's stuck by it since the very beginning. At Wigan, he released a statement explaining it. The last week at Stoke, he released a statement explaining it. He's explained his reasons. He said, it's a personal decision. I respect anybody who does wear the poppy, but I would rather not. He's grown up as a Catholic in a Catholic area, knows quite a few people who have lost family members or friends during those troubles, having been killed by members of British forces, and that's his reason. He'll respect anybody who wears it, but he'd rather not, and then he would like to be respected for his personal decision. Um, Where it becomes more complicated is when he lost count of the number of times he's deleted his social media accounts, having tweeted something quite inflammatory. Um, He doesn't help himself there, but that's a very different thing to his decision not to wear one in the first place. Looking at Saturday evening's game and his Instagram post afterwards where he referred to a number of Stoke fans. These weren't Middlesbrough fans he was referring to. These were the supporters of the team he plays for who had abused him when he came on as a substitute. Um, And he's obviously gone and called them uneducated cavemen, used other words which I, I won't repeat, but that doesn't help himself but is that good enough reason for him to be abused every time he plays plays a game? I, I was sort of wondering, because obviously Nemanja Matic also chose not to wear it. And mm. in this case, the weird thing was I'm always baffled. And he didn't give his explanations beyond saying it was a personal reason. Which, by the way, it's obviously always going to be a personal reason, right, uh, when, when, when you do it. I'm always baffled in the Premier League with all the money in the organization. It's like the second week in a row that we saw some totally cack-handed, like, organizational stuff. First, you had the freak show at Wembley with the NFL markings. And second, Nemanja Matic comes out in a shirt, which clearly had a poppy on it, because you can see the outline of it. But then some servant at the club had to unstitch it. But they didn't have, like, a spare Matic shirt from, from the week before, which I thought was pretty grotesque. And then you get the other thing, which... So I know this is not really about the puppy issue, but this is just about just the sheer bad planning of clubs that you would expect would know better. What happened with the Bournemouth players who came out in the second half without poppies on their shirts? As I gather, these people didn't do it out of solidarity with Nemanja Matic and uh, James McLean, right? No, so uh, I was at the game on Saturday afternoon, and obviously the players line up before the game, and Manchester United wearing their, I think it's their third strip, which is this pink kit, which may also be a reason to explain why there weren't any other any By other the way, kits. Without a weekend the of horrendous kits between this and yeah. Liverpool. The Bournemouth issue was quite simple in that four of their players, I believe, wanted to change into a fresh shirt at half time, but they only had one shirt with a poppy on. Um, so these four players come out for the second half. Obviously on TV it becomes quite clear when there are close-ups of these players. It's like, he's not wearing poppy on it. He's not wearing poppy on it. And again, social media, social media explodes because people are saying, oh, you know, lack of respect. Callum Wilson was one of the players who changed his shirt. And, you know, this is an English player. Why isn't he wearing a poppy? He had been. But so, this comes to the crux of your initial question is why were people tweeting in anger that a Bournemouth player dared to come out at half-time not wearing a poppy? as though the omission of that somehow says something terrible about that individual. And it's a sporting occasion. You're supposed to think only about the match. You're supposed to concentrate on it. It's a very big match for Bournemouth. The idea that they are actively happy to go out with a shirt on that hasn't got a pop. They, 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 they shouldn't be thinking about that. No, I, they're they're I being paid really not to point. think about that. But here's what, what I'm curious about. Obviously, we've seen two different approaches, right? 
McLean, who has never worn uh, a poppy to my knowledge, as you mentioned, he, he was released several statements explaining his reasons. And then you have Matic, who always wore one, and then decides not to do it and does not release a statement. Is there a right way of handling it? Just going to back to the McLean situation, initially, I think a season or two of him not wearing the poppy had passed before he released his first statement, but I'm assuming, uh, well, I'm assuming that was because people had started to abuse him and he decided yeah. that, okay, I need to clarify the situation. I know there are one or two, at least one or two other Irish players who would rather not wear a poppy, but feel like it's just not worth the abuse. It's time now for our weekly predictions game where Gab and I pick five fixtures and try to correctly guess the results. Now in Serie A, I thought Fiorentina would beat Roma. Natalie thought the other way around, that Roma would beat Fiorentina. Guess what? It was a draw. <laughs> Although I thought Fiorentina were clearly the more deserving side. <laughs> yeah, but it's still a draw. So no points for either of us for that one. Uh, and then we uh, focused on the Emirates game. Gab, you thought Arsenal would beat Liverpool, whereas I correctly predicted the draw so that's a point to me yeah although again i will point out that (laughs) arsenal i thought played better and would have won this game on points (laughs) we both thought everton would beat brighton although neither of us called a 3-1 scoreline but in the championship while natalie went for the draw i correctly predicted a victory for nottingham forest over sheffield united so we were all square and i'm Mm -hmm. glad i did because Nottingham Forest and their kindly owners have gotten a lot of abuse in recent years, haven't they? Well, yes, they have, yes. There you I'm go. Not sure that Ignorant people. And then they go and they beat the Mighty Blades. <laughs> uh, which means it all came down to Saturday night's fixture at Molyneux. I went for a Spurs win. Gab, you went for Wolves to get a draw. Yeah, and what happened again? Wolves should have had the draw. Look, yes. everybody knows my views on this, but let's call a spade a spade, right? <laughs> Wolves got jobbed in this game. Right? They had a goal that should have stood. Yes, and they played better than Spurs. And it's Mm. kind of absurd to me that, I don't know, whatever. It was close. I mean, they came back from 3-0 down, didn't they? And it ended up losing Wolves 3-2. So that means it's a point for me, which now means I lead 6-4. But you don't deserve it this week. I do deserve it, because that's what the results, that's how the results stood. And that's how they stand. And that's why I'm now 6-4 ahead. And let's not forget, Gab, I was 4-1 down at one stage. Whatever. Long way to go. Enough of this. How about some quick hits instead? Arsenal-Liverpool battle to 1-1 draw. Allison, if this were a boxing match, which in some ways it is, who would have won on points? Assuming you get more points for having a perfectly good goal disallowed, and assuming you get points for Virgil van Dijk being taken out by the Arsenal keeper and nobody noticing, then Liverpool would edge it on points. But having said that, by the end of... Liverpool were happier to hang on for the draw and Arsenal were still going for the win. That gets them lots of points for good attitude. And I was overall impressed with their energy and spirit and attitude. So even if you add points into the mix, it probably should have been a draw. That's Mm -hmm. not how I see it. Go on then. How do you see it? I thought Arsenal should get credit for the victory, certainly least in my prediction game with them. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it was a draw. Uh, Alvaro Morata bagged two goals, now has five in five games for Chelsea, who uh, overcame Crystal Palace 3-1. Alan, is uh, Morata back and are Chelsea now real title contenders? Um, In terms of Morata, yes, with a caveat that it was noticeable that Sarri made a point of uh, referencing Morata's fragile... Uh, 
mentality, um, sort of suggesting that he's a player, a streaky player who can perform brilliantly one week, but then can lose confidence and end up in a rut. Obviously, he's still quite young. Sorry is confident that he's going to develop um, but I think he is showing much improved form certainly in comparison to the second half of last season um, Chelsea are not title contenders because I can't see any team finding a way past Manchester City um, certainly contenders for second place I think obviously as the table shows it's I feel like it's between them and Liverpool for second oh Alison's making a face Alison's making a face Natalie, one for you. We don't get to talk about Sunderland uh, anymore on this podcast, and I haven't really thought about them since they <laughs> dropped out of the Premier League. But um, they're now in League One, I, I'm, yes. I'm led to believe. So how did my Black Cats and their supporters get up to this weekend? Well, they had a very, very long trip to Plymouth, which was an 813-mile round trip, the longest in the EFL. So you're looking at over 12 hours on the road there and back. On the back. road? They don't yeah. fly or well, take one of, your high, sure one of those high-speed trains that are your big... Oh, no, sorry. Yeah, this is League One, unfortunately. So it's not yeah, as but easy. it's Ellis Short. Well, that may be the Sunderland players, but the fans certainly wouldn't have done that. True. Um, and they sold out their allocation as well. So around 1,300 uh, made the trip and they were rewarded for their efforts as they won uh, 2-0. Aidan McGeady scored both the goals. Remember him? Yes. Some people pronounce it McGeady, too. I never understood what was correct. No, McGeady. Oh. All right. Oh, I was wondering about that. <laughs> yes. I know. Uh, it's Sunderland's fifth straight win. They are now second in the league, have only lost once as well. They're three points off the leaders, Portsmouth, with a game in hand. So it's all going very well under their manager, Jack Ross. Is that just because Jack Ross is a brilliant manager or is it because they just have more money and resources than the smaller clubs around them? Bit of both, maybe. (laughs) Okay, Manchester United, without Romelu Lukaku, won at Bournemouth 2-1. But Alison, Jose Mourinho says they were very, very lucky in the first half. Do you agree with his analysis and, and the show of humility for a change? Oh, yeah. Jose. <laughs> Come on, let's celebrate. <laughs> He's like a 16th century doctor facing an outbreak of smallpox and not knowing what to do because his team keeps starting badly. I don't know if he gives them a sort of fake medicine at halftime, but it, they, they need to go behind before they start playing well. And I think it's exasperating him. And that is why he spoke with the humility he did, because I think he's almost he's almost run out of ways to explain what is incredibly curious for a big club amassed at great expense that they don't have that oomph from the very start. He also said it was the first half was a disaster. Um, and Chris Smalling afterwards said it was their worst half of the season um, and obviously with Juventus to come on Wednesday it was interesting that he said that they started the first game against Juventus last month in awe of them which I thought was a remarkable thing to say for you know a Manchester yeah. United player you, you know what you'd want to establish a context but if if I were running Manchester United and the guy who occasionally captains my clubs comes out and says something like that I would just find the crap out of him you know, because I honestly, it's just, it's just such an, and again, maybe he's just being honest. Maybe he's speaking for himself. Maybe he was in awe, like, oh, look, it's Cristiano Ronaldo. But Manchester United, given their last 20 years, they can be bad, but they should never be in a situation where they're awed by Juventus. I, I, I think that sends a message that they don't remember who they are. And yeah. that's, that's well, really it just, bad. It just shows how far they've fallen in the post Ferguson. How far he's fallen. Well, he, he actually, he meant collectively, we were in awe. Spurs win at Molyneux to stay in the top four, but Wolves were desperately unlucky. Am I right, Alan? How much sympathy do you have for Nuno right now? Um, the widest scheme of things, I have very little sympathy for Nuno because he has a 
very, very talented group of players. He's secure in his job in comparison, well, in comparison to pretty much 80% of the manager in the Premier League, he is more secure in his position. So no sympathy there. In terms of Saturday night, Wolves' biggest issue throughout the season has been the lack of a goal scorer where Raul Jimenez has, he's played quite well, but he's missed quite a lot of chances. And there have been games particularly against some of the perceived lesser sides where they've missed a lot, a lot of chances. Perfect ending. Normally people <laughs> continue it? after the, the, the warning bolt. <laughs> uh, Gab, lastly, one for you. Real Madrid played their first league match since sacking uh, Julian Lopetegui and replacing him with Santi Solari. So how do things work out? Not great. I mean, the good news is is they won 2-0, but uh, I think until... Until the last few minutes, until thing actually seven minutes from time it was, it was their opponents, Rayo Vallecano, who were in the relegation zone, who hit the woodwork twice. They looked listless. Gareth Bale gets substituted and got booed um, and refused to, or appeared to refuse, uh, to shake Santi Solari's hand. Sergio Ramos booed seven ways till Sunday. In the end, it was Vinicius, who's 18 years old and should have been playing this season for the for the B team in the third division. Who, who scored before before Ramos added a second uh, a penalty, a Panenka, actually. There's just a big malaise at this club right now, and it's perhaps best summed up by uh, a tweet from, from Tony Crows, where he simply tweeted out something like, Real Madrid won a league match yesterday. Nothing else. <laughs> um, oh, and I think that speaks volumes. That is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Alison Rudd and Alan Smith. Otherwise known as the comedy duo of Rudd and Smith. <laughs> Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It's just one pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. And we'll be back on Thursday looking ahead to the Manchester Derby. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times... Head to thetimes.co.uk. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhones. 